0: Warning, this story contains content that some might find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Happy Halloween. I long thought about what to do for this podcast to celebrate this creepy holiday. Then, an idea revealed itself in all its terror. Read a spine-chilling short story from an acclaimed horror writer. So settle in, hunters, around the campfire or in a darkened room. It's time for a hallow reading. The Hound by H.P. Lovecraft in my tortured ears there sounds unceasingly a nightmare whirring flapping and a faint distant bang as of some gigantic hound it is not dream it is not i fear even madness for too much has already happened to give me these merciful doubts Senjin is a mangled corpse i alone know why And, such is my knowledge, I'm about to blow out my brains for fear I shall be mangled in the same way. Down unlit and illimitable corridors of eldritch fantasy sweeps the black, nameless nemesis that drives me to self-annihilation. May heaven forgive the folly and morbidity which led us both to so monstrous a fate. We with the commonplaces of a prosaic world, where even the joys of romance and adventure soon grow stale. Sinjin and I had followed enthusiastically every aesthetic and intellectual movement which promised respite from our devastating ennui. The enigmas of the Symbolists and the ecstasies of the Pre-Raphaelites were all ours in their time, but each new mood was drained too soon of its diverting novelty and appeal. Only the somber philosophy of the decadence could hold us, and this we found potent only by increasing gradually the depth and diabolism of our penetrations. Baudelaire and Huys Mons were soon exhausted of thrills, till finally there remained for us only the more direct stimuli of unnatural personal experiences and adventures. It was this frightful emotional need which led us to eventually to that detestable course which even in my present fear I mentioned with shame and timidity that hideous extremity of human outrage the abhorred practice of grave robbing I cannot reveal the details of our shocking expeditions or catalog even partly the worst of the trophies adorning the nameless museum we prepared in the great stone house where we jointly dwelt, alone and servantless. Our museum was a blasphemous, unthinkable place with the satanic taste of neurotic virtuosi, we had assembled a universe of terror and decay to excite our jaded sensibilities. It was a secret room, far, far underground, where huge winged demons, carven of basalt and onyx, vomited from wide grinning mouths, weird, green and orange light, and hidden pneumatic pipes ruffled into kaleidoscopic dances of death the lines of red and charneled things hand in hand woven in voluminous black hangings through these pipes came at will the odors of our mood most craved sometimes the scent of pale funeral lilies sometimes the narcotic incense of imagined eastern shrines of the kingly dead and sometimes how I shudder to recall it, the frightful, soul-upheaving stenches of the uncovered grave. Around the walls of this repellent chamber were cases of antique mummies alternating with comely, lifelike bodies perfectly stuffed and cured by the taxidermist's art, and with headstones snatched from the oldest churchyards of the world. Niches here and there contained skulls of all shapes heads preserved in various stages of dissolution. One might find the rotting bald pates of famous noblemen and the fresh and radiantly golden heads of new buried children. Statues and paintings there were of all fiendish subjects and some executed by Sinjin and myself. A locked portfolio bound in tanned human skin held certain unknown knowledge and unnameable drawings which it was rumored Goya had penetrated, but dared not acknowledge. There were nauseous musical instruments, strings, brass, and woodwind, on which Sinjin and I would sometimes produce dissonances of exquisite morbidity and cacodemoniacal ghastliness. Wilson and a multitude of inlaid ebony cabinets reposed the most incredible and imaginable variety of tomb loot ever assembled by human madness. perversity it is of this loot in particular i must not speak thank god i had the courage to destroy it long before i thought of destroying myself the predatory excursions on which we collected our unmentionable treasures were always artistically memorable events we were no vulgar ghouls but only worked under certain conditions of mood landscape environment, weather, season, and moonlight. These pastimes were to us the most exquisite form of aesthetic expression, and we gave their details of fastidious technical care. An inappropriate hour, a jarring light effect, or clumsy manipulation of the damp sod would almost totally destroy for us that ecstatic titillation which followed the exhumation of some ominous grinning secret of the Earth. Our quest for novel scenes and piquant conditions was feverish and insatiate. Sinjin was always the leader, and he it was who led the way at last to that mocking, that accursed spot which brought us our hideous and inevitable doom. By what malign fatality were we lured to that terrible hall and churchyard? I think it was the dark rumor and legendary of the tales of one buried for five centuries, who had himself been a ghoul in his time and had stolen a potent thing from a mighty sepulchre. I can recall the scene in these final moments. The pale autumnal moon over the graves, casting long, horrible shadows. the grotesque trees drooping sullenly to meet the neglected grass and the crumbling slabs. The vast legions of strangely colossal bats that flew against the moon. The antique Ivy Turch pointing a huge spectral finger at the livid sky. The phosphorus insects that danced like death fires under the yews in a distant corner. The odors of mold, vegetation, and less explicable things that mingled feebly with the night wind from over far swamps and seas. And worst of all, that faint, deep-toned bay of some gigantic hound which we could neither see nor definitely place. As we heard this suggestion of baying, we shuddered, remembering the tales of the peasantry. For he whom had sought the centuries before had been found in this selfsame spot, Torn and mangled by the claws and teeth of some unspeakable beast. I remembered how we delved in this ghoul's grave with our spades. And how we thrilled at the picture of ourselves, the grave, the pale-watching moon, the horrible shadows, the grotesque trees, the titanic bats, the antique church, the dancing death fires, the sickening odors, the gently moaning night wind, and the strange, half-heard, directionless bang of whose objective existence we could scarcely be sure. Then. We struck a substance harder than the damp mold and beheld a rotting oblong box crusted with mineral deposits from the long, undisturbed ground. It was incredibly tough and thick, but so old we finally pried it open and feasted our eyes on what it held. Much, amazingly much, was left of the object despite the lapse of 500 years. The skeleton, though crushed in places by the jaws of the thing that had killed it, held together with surprising firmness, and we gloated over the clean white skull and its long firm teeth and its eyeless sockets that once had glowed with a charnel fever like our own. In the coffin lay an amulet of curious and exotic design, which had apparently been worn around the sleeper's neck. It was the oddly conventionalized figure of a crouching winged hound, or sphinx with a semi-canine face and it was exquisitely carved in antique oriental fashion from a small piece of green jade. The expression on its features was repellent in the extreme, savoring at once of death, bestiality, and malevolence. Around the base was an inscription in characters which neither Sinjin nor I could identify, and at the bottom, like a maker's seal, was graven a grotesque and formidable skull immediately upon beholding this amulet we knew we must possess it this treasure alone was our logical pelf from the century grave even had its outlines been unfamiliar we would have desired it but as we looked more closely we saw that it was not wholly unfamiliar alien it indeed was to all art and literature which sane and balanced readers know but we recognized it as the thing hinted in the forbidden Necronomicon of the mad Arab Abdul Al-Hazrid, the ghastly soul symbol of the corpse-eating cult of inaccessible Lang in Central Asia. All too well did we trace the sinister liniments described by the old Arab demonologist. Liniments, he wrote, drawn from some obscure supernatural manifestation of the souls of those who vexed and gnawed at the dead. Seizing the green jade object, we gave one last glance at the bleached and cavern-eyed face of its owner and closed up the grave as we found it. As we hastened from that abhorrent spot, the stolen amulet in Sinjin's pocket, we thought we saw the bats descend in a body to the earth we had so lately rifled, as is seeking for some cursed and unholy nourishment. But the autumn moon showed weak and pale, and we could not be sure. So, too, as we sailed the next day, away from Holland to our home, we thought we heard the faint distant bang as of some gigantic hound in the background. But the autumn wind moaned sad and wan, and we could not be sure. Less than a week after our return to England, strange things began to happen. We lived as recluses, devoid of friends, alone and without servants in a few rooms of an ancient manor house, on a bleak and unfrequented moor, so that our doors were seldom disturbed by the knock of the visitor. Now, however, we were troubled by what seemed to be frequent fumblings in the night, not only around the doors but the windows also, upper as well as lower. Once, we fancied that a large, opaque body darkened the library window when the moon was shining against it, and another time we thought we heard a whirring or flapping sound not far off. On each occasion, investigation revealed nothing, and we began to ascribe the occurrences to imagination alone. That same curiously disturbed imagination which still prolonged in our ears the faint, far-baying we thought we had heard in the Holland churchyard. The jade amulet now reposed in a niche in our museum, and sometimes we burned strangely scented candles before it. We read much in Alhazred's Necronomicon about its properties and the relation of ghouls' souls to the objects it symbolized, and were disturbed by what we read. Then, terror came. On the night of September 24th, I heard a knock at my chamber door. Fancying it Sinjin's, I bade the knocker enter, but was only answered by a shrill laugh. There was no one in the corridor. When I aroused Sinjin from his sleep, he professed entire ignorance of the event and became as worried as I. It was that night that the faint, distant baying over the moor became to us a certain and dreaded reality. Four days later, whilst we were both in the hidden museum, there came a low, cautious scratching at the single door which led to the secret library staircase. Our alarm was now divided, for besides our fear of the unknown, we had always entertained a dread that our grisly collection might be discovered. Extinguishing all lights, we proceeded to the door and threw it suddenly open, whereupon we felt an unaccountable rush of air, and heard as if receding far away a queer combination of rustling, tittering, and articulate chatter. Whether we were mad, dreaming, or in our senses, we did not try to determine. We only realized, with the blackest of apprehensions, that the apparently disembodied chatter was beyond a doubt in the Dutch language. After that, we lived in growing horror and fascination. Mostly, we held to the theory that we were jointly going mad from our life of unnatural excitements. But sometimes it pleads us more to dramatize ourselves as the victims of some creeping and appalling doom. Bizarre manifestations were now too frequent to count. Our lonely house was seemingly alive with the presence of some malign being whose nature we could not guess. And every night, that demoniac bang rolled over the windset bore, always louder and louder. On October 29th, we found, in the soft earth underneath the library window, a series of footprints utterly impossible to describe. They were as baffling as the hordes of the great bats which haunted the old manor house in unprecedented and increasing numbers. The horror reached a culmination on November 18th. When Senjin was walking home after dark from the distant railway station, he was, was seized by some frightful carnivorous thing and torn to ribbons. His screams had reached the house and I hastened to the terrible scene in time to hear a whir of wings and see a vague black cloudy thing silhouetted against the rising moon. My friend was dying when I spoke to him and he could not answer coherently. All he could do was to whisper, That amulet. That damned thing. Then he collapsed, an inert mass of mingled flesh. I buried him the next midnight in one of our neglected gardens, and mumbled over his body one of the devilish rituals he had loved in life. And as I pronounced the last demoniac sentence, I heard afar on the moor the faint bang of some gigantic. Gigantic hound. The moon was up, but I dared not look at it. And when I saw on the dim, litten moor a wide, nebulous shadow sweeping from mound to mound, I shut my eyes and threw myself face down upon the ground. When I arose trembling, I know not how much later, I staggered into the house and made shocking obeisances before the enshrined amulet of green jade. Being now afraid to live alone on the ancient house on the moor, I departed the following day for London, taking with me the amulet after destroying by fire and burial the rest of the impious collection in the museum. But after three nights, I heard the baying again, and before a week was over, felt strange eyes upon me whenever it was dark. One evening, as I strolled the Victorian embankment for some much-needed air, I saw a black shape obscure one of the reflections of the lamps in the water, a wind stronger than the night wind rushed by, and I knew what had befallen Sinjin must soon befall me. The next day I carefully wrapped the green jade amulet and sailed for Holland. What mercy I might gain for returning the thing to its silent sleeping owner I knew not, but I felt I must at least try any step conceivably logical. What the hound was and why it pursued me were questions still vague. But I had first heard the bang in that ancient churchyard, and every subsequent event, including Sinjun's dying whisper, had served to connect the curse with the stealing of the amulets. Accordingly, I sank into the nethermost abysses of despair when, at an inn in Rotterdam, I discovered that thieves had despoiled me of this sole means of salvation. The baying was loud that evening, and in the morning I read of a nameless deed in the vilest quarter of the city. The rabble were in terror, for upon an evil tenement had fallen a red death beyond the foulest previous crime of the neighborhood. In a squalid thieves' den, an entire family had been torn to shreds by an unknown thing which left no trace, and those around had heard all night above the usual clamor of drunken voices, a faint, deep, incessant note as of a gigantic hound. So, at last I stood again at that unwholesome churchyard where a pale winter moon cast hideous shadows and the leafless trees drooped sullenly to meet the withered frosty grass and cracking slabs and the ivied church pointing a jeering finger at the unfriendly sky, and the night wind howled maniacally over frozen swamps and frigid seas. The baying was very faint now, and it ceased altogether as I approached the ancient grave I had once violated, and frightened away an abnormally large horde of bats which had been hovering curiously around it. I know not why I went thither unless to pray, or gibber out insane pleas and apologies to the calm white thing that lay within. But whatever my reason, I attacked the half-frozen sod with a desperation partly mine and partly that of a dominating will outside myself. Excavation was much easier than I expected, though at one point I encountered a queer interruption. When a lean vulture darted down out of the cold sky and pecked frantically at the grave earth until i killed him with a blow of my spade finally i reached the rotting oblong box and removed the damp nitrous cover this was the last rational act i ever performed for crouched within that century coffin embraced by a close-packed nightmare retinue of huge sinewy sleeping bats was the bony thing my friend and I had robbed. Not clean and placid as we had seen it then, but covered with caked blood and shreds of alien flesh and hair, and leering sentiently at me with phosphorescent sockets and sharp and sanguine veins, yawning twistedly in mockery of my inevitable doom. And when it gave from those grinning jaws a deep sardonic bay as of some gigantic hound, I saw that it held in its gory, filthy claw the lost and fateful amulet of green jade. I merely screamed and ran away idiotically, my screams soon dissolving into peals of hysterical laughter. (laughs) Madness rides the star wind, claws and teeth sharpened on centuries of corpses, dripping death astride a bacchanal of bats and night-black ruins of buried temples of Belial. Now, as that baying of the dead, fleshless monstrosity goes louder and louder and the stealthy whirring flapping of those accursed web wings circle closer and closer, I shall seek with my revolver the Oblivion, which is my only refuge from the unnamed and unnameable. This has been The Hound by HP Lovecraft. Thank you for tuning in to the Snipe Hunt Halloween Reading. May you find refuge in the darkest of nights. Good night. Once again, we want to thank you for listening to Snipe Hunt. Your listening has been noted and will be reported to the proper authorities. All audio used was done so under the protection of fair use. Logo design is by Ethan Rothfuss. The music you heard in this episode was composed by Mayu and Nature World 1986. We'll continue to search for the unexplained and we'll hopefully see you on the next hunt.